0: Mr. Pastor, I know that uh, many of you are facing real difficulties today, and you've come here this morning weighed down, maybe a bit wearied by all of the the stress and strain of it. Some of you are struggling with your health. Some of you are struggling with your finances. Some of you are struggling with relationships at home, at work, at school, maybe at church. And for some, the problems public, and so you have other people that are bearing that burden with you, while for others maybe it's private and you're carrying that struggle on your own. But whatever the case, I know it isn't easy, but maybe the hardest part in all of it, maybe the biggest burden of a trial that you're facing today, is not knowing what to do. I lost my job, my friend died, my family's in trouble, I've been diagnosed with some kind of disease. I didn't see it coming. I know there's nothing I can do to change my circumstances, but now what? How do I deal with this? How should I respond, especially as a Christian? Do I just try to cope with my problems as best I can, hoping for the best like others do? Or is there another way to deal with these difficulties? Is there a better way? Is there a biblical way? I imagine some of you have thought these things and are maybe asking these questions today. Well, as we begin our new sermon series through the letter of James this morning, we discover right away that the Christians to whom this letter was originally written were facing many difficulties of their own. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus and one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church, he starts off his letter by immediately addressing their afflictions with some inspired instruction. Notice how he identifies his readers in verse 1 as the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Uh, In the Old Testament, this would have described the many Jews who were scattered among the nations due to God's discipline for the nation's rebellion. But now, in the New Testament, it undoubtedly describes the many Jewish Christians who had similarly been scattered among the nations after the persecution in Jerusalem, uh, as recorded in Acts 8. These men and women had begun to be discipled by James and the other apostles in Jerusalem just after Pentecost. But before learning everything that Christ commanded, they were violently disbanded. Well, now with this letter, which is most likely the first New Testament book written... James picks up, we might say, where they had left off, teaching about the Christian life so that they might become mature in Christ, which is the overall reason for why James wrote this letter. Now, if you've read the letter of James before, you know that it is a very practical book. It's, it's filled with truth for life. Well, now you know why. These Dispersed disciples needed to finally learn how to grow up spiritually, just as many believers need today. And one of the main ways that they needed to mature was in their response to trials. As they continued to be mistreated and marginalized, a a minority religious group scattered among the nations, these Jewish Christians needed to know how to not just cope with the challenges they faced, but how to conquer them, how to triumph through trials, coming out more like Christ in the end. Well, that's what James now teaches us here in our text, telling them and telling us, first of all, That we must learn to rejoice in the spiritual perfection that trials develop in us. That's the first way we need to respond to trials. So James begins just right away, right off the bat. He jumps into it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now that might be one of the most surprising and shocking statements in the whole Bible. Seriously, James? I'm supposed to be happy when I'm struggling. I'm supposed to be happy when I'm suffering. That's completely unrealistic, if not heartless, to be happy when I'm hurting. Well, before we dismiss this verse outright, let's consider what exactly it's saying. Notice, James does not say, feel happy when you are experiencing difficulties. Difficulties like partiality and persecution, slander and sickness. Those are the trials that these Jewish Christians were facing, as we'll see throughout the letter. Though this is often read this way, you know, uh, put a smile on your face. That's not what it's meant to say. Now James tells us, notice, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. In other words, consider them that way. Though we usually feel the opposite of joy in our trials, James encourages believers to not let those feelings take control, but rather to take control of those feelings by thinking differently about what we're going through, considering them, those trials, in a different way until those feelings can catch up. As Christians, our head is always meant to lead our hearts, not the other way around. And so James tells us to deem our difficulties a delight until they do. Which, by the way, is something that I have had the pleasure of seeing in many of you who have chosen to be positive in your problems even though you don't feel that way. Who have decided, I'm going to count it all joy. Not because you enjoy your problems, but because you enjoy what those problems produce in you. Because you value the results of those trials. In the Christian life, which James goes on to explain in verse three to four. Here's why we should count it all joy. Verse three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Think of the pain that people will gladly put up with if what they want enough is what it produces. Right, so, so athletes, they will put their minds and bodies through great discomfort when they're training because they want the experience of the joy of winning. Right? right, no pain, no gain, they know that. And so there can be a joy even within the difficulties of training. Or mothers, mothers will go through agonizing pain once, twice, three times, four times, more. Why? Because they know, they know that joy, that happiness of holding that little one that makes it all worth it in the end. Well, James tells us the same should be true for Christians and the trials we face. We can endure them. We can even consider them a joy because of what they produce in us. Namely, spiritual maturity which as Christians is what we should all ultimately be aiming for more than anything else. James says, first of all, God uses trials for the testing of our faith, to show us what our faith is made of, approving what is within us so that we can have confidence in that faith and we can build on that faith. It's been said that God proves us in order to improve us. And that is something, no matter how we feel about the trial itself, we can nevertheless rejoice in. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You rejoice because it testes your faith. And your faith grows through it. But then second, James goes on to tell us that that tested, that, that approved faith produces steadfastness in the believer. Uh, your endurance has a chance to grow, the New Living Translation puts it, so that we're now better prepared for whatever is going to come next. It's like God is our, our spiritual trainer. He knows what's best for us, and he therefore allows us to suffer in order to make us stronger. He, he lovingly puts on the pressure to prove and perfect us more into the image of Christ. C.S. Lewis once said about his own pain and suffering, I suggest to you that it is because God loves us that he gives us the gift of suffering. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, we are like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves the forms of men. The blows of his chisel, which hurt us so much, are what make us perfect. But then finally, the final piece in this, James says, is that when we let steadfastness have its full effect, we will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We'll have a fully formed faith. Not speaking of sinless perfection, of course, but again, this main theme of the whole book, spiritual maturity, which again is is reason for Christians to rejoice. Trials, if, notice he says, we let them, if we don't fight what God is allowing, but rather we follow what God is accomplishing through them. They can make us more like Christ. Paul says in Romans 3:5, We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my heroes, uh, he experienced great trials and troubles in his life. He had reoccurring uh, uh, gout that really disabled him in so many ways physically. Uh, He had seasons of severe depression. And he experienced public slander from his opponents like almost no one else at the time. And yet, nevertheless, he learned how to count it all joy when he considered the resulting good. He said once, I am afraid that all the grace that I have got out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. What do I not owe to the crucible and the furnace, the bellows that have blown up the coals and the hand which has thrust me into the heat? I bear witness that the worst days I have ever had have turned out to be my best days. Church, that's the first way that as Christians we can learn to triumph through trials, how you and I can come out better In the end, we must choose to rejoice in the spiritual perfection that we know those trials are producing in us, even while we're not rejoicing or enjoying the experience of the pain. And of course, that is not an easy thing to do. And that's why James goes on secondly to tell us that we also must learn to request the spiritual prudence that trials demand of us. So verse 5, he says, and if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who grac- generously gives to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Hudson Taylor was once talking to a young missionary who was about to start work in, in China, uh, and he suddenly, as they were talking, pounded the table And their their teacups went all over the table, and the tea was spilt everywhere. And looking at this startled young missionary in the face, he he said to him soberly, When you begin your work, you will be buffeted in numerous ways. The trials will be like blows. But remember, just like this spilt tea, those blows will only bring out what is already in you. Difficulties have a way of exposing our deficiencies, especially a lack of wisdom. James wants us to see here, not knowing how to proceed in our problems, which James says then should drive us to prayer. Someone once said, never let adversity get you down except on Your knees. After all, God wants to help us in our hurting. He wants to give us the prudence we need with the problems that we are sure to meet. So much so that He promises here, without any qualifications, to give us the wisdom we need if we simply ask for it. And notice with the insurance that He gives generously to all without reproach. Meaning he is not reluctant, but he is more than ready to give. He won't find fault if you admit your weakness and you ask him for the wisdom you so desperately need in your trials. On the contrary, it's what the father expects of his children. It's what the father commands his children to do. Come to me with your weakness. Come to me and I'll give you what you need. Jesus said in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so church, is this the first thing that we do when we meet trials Of various kinds. Ask God for the wisdom we know we desperately need to persevere through them, to grow, to triumph. Warren Wiersbe once had a secretary who was facing great difficulties. She had had a stroke. Uh, Her husband had gone suddenly blind and soon after he was admitted to the hospital in, in critical condition. And seeing this woman shortly after in church one Sunday, Weir'sby asked her or assured her, sorry, that uh, he was praying. To which she unexpectedly responded. And what exactly are you asking God to do? Well, I'm asking God to, to help you and strengthen you, he replied. Oh, I appreciate that, she said. But pray for one more thing. Pray that I will have the wisdom to not waste all of this. Wiersbe goes on to observe, she knew the meaning of James chapter 1. You know, after 18 years of pastoral ministry, I was thinking about it. And, you know, I've been asked countless times to, to pray for people who are experiencing difficulties. But I'll be honest, I've never been asked to pray like this. Pastor, would you pray for me to have the wisdom, to have what I need in order to grow through this? In order to count this all joy. But you know what? I'll be honest. I don't think I've ever asked anyone to pray that for me either. And maybe it's because, as James says here, we're so often double-minded when facing difficulties. Knowing what the Word says about it, but being so easily influenced by the world. And asking in fear rather than asking in faith for what we need. Something that James goes on to warn us about in verse 6 and 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James is a master of imagery and we're going to see that throughout he uses some natural imagery here of these waves being uh, driven by the wind horizontally and tossed vertically we can all imagine what that's like when we're experiencing trials and that makes it difficulty uh, difficult in faith to then ask for the wisdom we might need all we're asking for lord is get me out of this understandably and because of this He uses this terminology of being double-minded. The image is like having a split personality. Our soul is divided between faith and faithlessness, between the word and the world, between counting this all joy and grumbling. James says that sort of inner instability, it makes it impossible to request the spiritual prudence that trials demand of us. And thus receive what we need to triumph through trials. And so he just tells us, look to the Lord in faith. And ask in your weakness for the wisdom you need. But there's one more instruction he finally gives here. He finally tells us in verse 9 to 12 that we must then receive the spiritual perspective that trials display to us. A Christian man was once walking with John Wesley and he was just sharing with him all the troubles he was facing. And as they approached a a stone fence over which a cow was looking, Wesley asked, why is that cow looking over the wall? I'll tell you, it's because he can't look through it. That is what you must do with your troubles. Look over them. Trials can be wonderful teachers. They can give us a whole new perspective. That is, if we are able to get our eyes off of them and look over them to the lessons God wants us to learn so that we can grow in spiritual maturity. Two of which James has in mind here. First, he wanted his readers to realize that the troubles they were experiencing were teaching them To set their minds on the invisible and spiritual rather than the visible and material. So verse 9 to 11, he says, Now let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And again, this is still within the context of trials. Verse 10, And the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So first, when, when Christians of low status meet trials in this life, it is an opportunity to remember their heightened status that is coming in the kingdom of God. That they are chosen children of God, just like every other believer. Chapter 2, verse 5, James says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Now, on the other hand, when Christians of high status in this world meet trials, It is an opportunity to remember their humbled status in the kingdom of God. To remember that the riches of this world have no spiritual benefit at the foot of the cross. Only repentance. Later in James 4, verse 10. In James 4, 10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will Exalt you. But also, trials for those of high status in this world, for those who are rich, particularly in material possessions, it also reminds them, reminds us, that in the end, everything, except for what's done in faith, will fade away. Just a little bit lower in chapter 4, in the middle of verse 14, it says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Trials can teach us what really matters in this life, like nothing else. When when visible and material things are suddenly taken away, the invisible and spiritual realities of life soon take center stage And we come to cherish them and cherish the riches of our faith. But that's not all. Secondly, James wants his readers to realize that their troubles were also teaching them to set their minds on the eternal rather than the temporal. To remember that while this present life will fade away, there are future blessings on their way that will last forever. An eternal reward for every steadfast believer. Notice how this section is is, is closed here in verse 12 by James. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Which God has promised to those who love him. Notice it doesn't say, blessed is the man who has it easy. Blessed is the woman whose trials are taken away. No, it says blessed is the man and woman who remain steadfast under trial, who endure patiently. Why? Because God has promised those who love him to the end, the unfading crown of life. There are many crowns in the New Testament. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, we're not exactly sure what they are, except that they are some kind of heavenly reward given to the faithful when Christ returns. Reward that will make all of our struggles and all of our sufferings in this life more than worth it in the end. As Peter said in 1 Peter 4 12 to 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. just want to stop for a second, because, I mean, that's... We need to hear that, because we live in a time where we think normal life is easy, right? I mean, we live... Uh, in a a world, in a time, and and we're all super wealthy, and we live in a super wealthy country, like never before, where we're healthier, and we live longer, and things are easier than ever before. And so, let's be honest, we've bought into that. And we think when suffering and trials comes, we're like, what is this? I didn't, it's a surprise. I didn't didn't think this was gonna happen. I thought my life was just gonna be easy all the way to the end. James says, don't be, uh, Peter says, don't be surprised. And James said the same thing earlier, right? He didn't say, count it all joy if you meet trials. He says, when you meet trials, it's going to happen. But Peter goes on, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Church, that's finally what we need To triumph through trials. James tells us we need to receive the spiritual perspective that trials display to us. Not looking at the trials, but looking over them to see what God is wanting to teach us and to see how God is wanting to grow us through them. As Malcolm Muggeridge acknowledged, Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the same time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness, whether pursued or attained. Well, now we know the same can be true for me and for you if we choose, if we let those trials produce in us what God wants to produce in us. It's a choice we need to make and a choice that is difficult to make. A young woman once went to her mother and was just pouring out all of her problems, all the ways that her life wasn't going well. Now, how she was sure it wasn't going to go well in the future as well. All of her past pains. When she finished, the the woman's mother didn't say anything, but she, she took her to the kitchen and she filled three pots with water and she placed them on the stove and she brought them all to a boil. She then put a carrot in one pot, an egg in another pot, and coffee grounds in a third Around 20 minutes later, she took them off the burner and removed the contacts, taking the carrot and the egg out and straining all the coffee grounds. Bewildered by it all, growing impatient, the daughter broke the silence, asking, Mom, what are you doing? What could this possibly have to do with my problems? My dear, the mother responded, it has everything to do with your problems. Look, each of these items faced the same adversity, the boiling water. But each reacted differently. The carrot went in strong and came out weak. The egg went in fragile and came out hardened. But the coffee was unique. It wasn't changed by the boiling water, but rather changed it for the better. In the same way as you face difficulties in your life, you can either get soft and give up, you can grow hard and grumble, or you can take your troubles and turn them into something better. You can be like the carrot, you can be like the egg, or you can be like the coffee. The choice is up to you. Church, what will you choose? As we now have seen how to triumph through trials in this text. Will you, will you pass on James' instruction, thereby getting softer or growing harder with every problem you face? Or will you put into practice what he has taught, transformed by your trials for the better, as you let those trials transform you into a more mature follower of Jesus Christ? Will you be like the carrot? Will you be like the egg? Or will you be like the coffee today? Well, as I bring this sermon to a close, I just want to make one suggestion that I know will help you to put into practice what we've learned in our passage this morning. Will help you be more like the coffee. Will help you to triumph through trials you're facing. Simply put these 12 verses to memory. So that when you need it, this truth for life is right there. And you will know right away exactly what to do. You'll know that you need to rejoice in the spiritual perfection that this trial is going to develop in you. That you need to request the spiritual prudence, the wisdom that this trial demands of you. And that you need to receive the spiritual perspective that this trial is going to display to you. And you know, the reason I'm confident that this will work is that a few years ago, When Sue Gross was first diagnosed with cancer, she came into my office for the elders to pray. And she had a smile on her face. And I asked her, how are you feeling, Sue? She says, I'm doing well. You want to know why? She told me, because when I was a little girl, I memorized the whole book of James. And now, all these years later, those first words came to mind. And they strengthened me. And I'm going to count it all joy. That's what I intend to do. I hope that we will be more ready to do the same today, whatever trials we might face. Like Sue, and and ultimately like Jesus. The book of Hebrews says For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What we celebrated in the Lord's Supper, the death of Christ, the greatest trial of his life, he counted it all joy. Because he knew what it would produce, what he was accomplishing in the end for us. Let's ask the Lord now for the wisdom to do the same. Lord, this is a precious passage, but it's also difficult to hear, especially when we're in the midst of trials. You know our weakness. You know how hard it is to remain positive in trials. You know how hard it is for us to count it all joy because of what you're producing in us. And so we would just ask now, as you've told us to, for wisdom. For the wisdom we need to remain steadfast. To be able to see what you're teaching us in our trials. And to have faith that you're going to use them to perfect us. And to prepare us for the glory that's to come. I pray Lord that this would be a comfort especially to all those who are going through great difficulties today. And that we would be able to encourage each other and pray for one another. That you would indeed Use our problems to perfect us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.